Hey, it's Uncle Mike, and here are this week's Farm and Ag Reports. This is the Farm and Ag Report, and I'm Jen Fimble, Cornell Cooperative Extension Educator. Okay, it isn't June. It is dairy month anymore. Nope, it gets better. July is National Ice Cream Month, and what a perfect time to cool off with a scoop of your favorite flavor. President Ronald Reagan designated July as National Ice Cream Month with the third Sunday of the month being National Ice Cream Day. Like many other foods, the exact origin of ice cream is unknown. What we do know, however, is that the origin of ice cream dates back a long time. Nero of Rome was said to have enjoyed harvesting ice or snow and then flavoring it with honey and other flavors. Alexander the Great supposedly enjoyed icy drinks that had added honey or nectar. The first mention of ice cream being in the United States wasn't until 1744. Early presidents also liked ice cream. In the summer of 1790, George Washington spent approximately $200 for ice cream. Thomas Jefferson actually made his own recipe of ice cream, too. Dolly Madison, wife of President James Madison, served ice cream at the second inaugural ball. For a while, ice cream was only an occasional special treat, mainly for the rich. In 1843, Nancy Johnson patented the hand crank ice cream maker. About eight years later, in 1851, Jacob Fusel built the first ice cream factory. The invention of mechanical refrigeration helped keep large amounts of ice cream cool. Improvements in new inventions and technology helped ice cream spread towards the general public. Some fun facts about ice cream. Vanilla is the most popular flavor. The ice cream soda was invented in 1874. It takes approximately 50 licks to finish an ice cream cone. California produces the most ice cream in the United States. Ice cream can be deep fried. And some of the best ice cream joints in Dutchess County, Zoe's Ice Cream Barn in LaGrangeville, Joe's Dairy Bar in Hopewell Junction, Holy Cow in Red Hook, and Zora Dora's in Beacon. Where's your favorite ice cream from? And I'm Jen Fimble, Ag Navigator, and this has been the Farm and Ag Report for Hudson Valley Focus Live on WKIP. This is the Farm and Ag Report, and I'm Jen Fimble, Cornell Cooperative Extension Educator. This is from independent.co.uk. Researchers at Oregon State have patented a new strain of seaweed that tastes like bacon when it's cooked. The seaweed, a form of red marine algae, looks like translucent red lettuce. It also has twice the nutritional value of kale and grows very quickly. 
Did I mention it tastes like bacon? According to Oregon State researcher Chris Langdon, his team started growing the new strain while trying to find a good source for edible sea snails, or abalone, a very popular food in many parts of Asia. The strain is a new type of red algae that normally grows along the Pacific and Atlantic coastlines. But Langdon realized he had his hands on something with a lot more potential when his colleague Chuck Toombs visited his office and caught a glimpse of the growing seaweed. Toombs said he thought the bacon seaweed had the potential for a new industry for Oregon, he told Oregon State in a press release. Toombs then began working with the university's Food Innovation Center, which created a range of foods with the seaweed as its main ingredient. Langdon said no U.S. companies grow red algae for people to eat, but the seaweed had been consumed by people in Northern Europe for centuries. This stuff is pretty amazing, Langdon told OSU. When you fry it, which I've done, it tastes like bacon, not seaweed, and it's a pretty strong bacon flavor. The no analysis has been done yet to find out whether commercializing the bacon seaweed would be practical. The team thinks the vegan and vegetarian markets might be interested. Toombs MBA students are hard at work on a marketing plan for a new line of specialty foods. Some red algae is sold in the U.S. now, but it is a different strain from the one harvested at OSU. Langdon says he's growing about 20 to 30 pounds of the stuff a week, but he plans to more than triple that production. And I'm Jen Fimble, Ag Navigator, and this has been the Farm and Ag Report for Hudson Valley Focus Live on WKIP. This is the Farm and Ag Report, and I'm Jen Fimble, Cornell Cooperative Extension Educator. This is from agdaily.com. I absolutely love farming. Despite the fact that I was once a big city girl who was really disconnected from agriculture, it feels as though I found my calling in life sharing the stories of amazing farmers from all around the world as a public speaker and writer. Even though I grew up as a Wisconsin girl involved in farming and 4-H, as I've gotten older, I sometimes wonder how life would be different if I would have been actively involved in FFA. The FFA creed and blue corduroy jacket hold a lot of weight, distinction, and powerful memories. In honor of this week's National FFA Convention, I decided to ask some high school students and FFA alumni what the organization means to them. The quote I love most came from Ashley Calloway, an FFA alumna and Wisconsin Farm Bureau employee. Showing livestock is more than ribbons, more than bragging rights, more than just competing. It's about instilling values, building character. It's a demonstration of love, patience, and teamwork. After chatting with all these FFA farm folks, the leadership skills and passions are very prevalent. FFA creates a brother and sisterhood full of friendships that last a lifetime. It presents opportunities, allows our nation's youth to explore future career possibilities in agriculture. When you go off to college, 
college, you already have a tribe, people who understand you. The FFA logo represents your values, your family, a certain set of morals, and community. You're representing something big. FFA offers many leadership opportunities, while the history of the organization has included participation from many of our former presidents, such as Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, and Jimmy Carter. It raises awareness to how prevalent agriculture is in our everyday life and gives us all an idea of just how diverse the industry really is. FFA offers mentorship programs, career exploration, and public speaking and travel opportunities. It's intracurricular, not extracurricular. These memories and friendships last a lifetime. It's education, but it also offers huge social advantages. Then there's the scholarships, the fundraising, the travel, the competitions and conferences, all of these moments that lead to real college scholarships and independence. So what did I miss out since I wasn't in FFA? Their mission statement is, FFA makes a positive difference in the lives of students by developing their potential for premier leadership, personal growth, and career success through agricultural education. Consider all of this when you decide to join this life-changing organization that can offer promise and enrichment for the rest of your life. There are currently three FFA chapters in Dutchess County, Pine Plains, BOCES, and John Jay High School. And I'm Jen Fimble, Ag Navigator, and this has been the Farm and Ag Report for Hudson Valley Focus Live on WKIP. This is the Farm and Ag Report, and I'm Jen Fimble, Cornell Cooperative Extension Educator. Happy Fourth of July. July is National Hot Dog Month, so it's not only Ice Cream Month, it's Hot Dog Month. Now that the weather has warmed up and gotten nice outside, grilling season is upon us yet again. Time to fire up those grills and buy some nice juicy hamburgers, sausages, and hot dogs, of course. July is National Hot Dog Month according to the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council. So grab your dogs and toppings because here are some interesting bits on an American classic. The exact origins of hot dogs are unknown, but likely their predecessor was brought over by immigrants. What we do know, however, is how they are made and what they are made of. Hot dogs are usually pork or beef, but they can be made from poultry as well. The meat is put into a machine to be finely ground until it resembles a paste or batter. Spices and or flavorings are added for flavor. Some companies use cellulose casings and some still use traditional natural casing. After being pumped with meat, the casings go through another machine to link the casings into strands of hot dogs. Afterwards, the strands of hot dogs are sent to an oven to cook. During this stage, smoke may be used to add extra flavor. 
After cooking, the dogs are showered in water to let them cool before being sent to packaging. If cellulose casing was used, the hot dogs are sent to another machine to remove the casing. Then they are cut into individual dogs, packaged and sealed, ready to be sent to a store near you. Some fun facts. Joey Chestnut currently holds the world record in hot dog eating by eating 74 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. The Tokyo Dog Food Truck, located in Seattle, Washington, has a record for the most expensive hot dog, costing $169. The longest hot dog on record, made by Novex SA of Paraguay in 2011, is 668 feet and 7.62 inches. Want farm fresh local hot dogs? For starters, try JSK Livestock in Millbrook, Northwind Farm in Tivoli, or Walbridge Farm in Millbrook. And I'm Jem Fimble, Ag Navigator, and this has been the Farm and Ag Report for Hudson Valley Focus Live on WKIP. This is the Farm and Ag Report, and I'm Jen Fimble, Cornell Cooperative Extension Educator. Just last week, Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro announced that just over $1.05 million in funding awards from Dutchess County's Partnership for Manageable Growth Program to permanently protect 641 acres on three farms in Dutchess County. The preserved land serves diverse sections of the agricultural economy in Dutchess County, including dairy, equine, and nursery stock. County Executive Molinaro said, through our Partnership for Manageable Growth Program, we are able to strategically preserve farmland that helps us to sustain sustain and grow our agricultural industry, which is a major economic engine for Dutchess County's economy, while also protecting and enhancing our ecology and quality of life. Farmland protection and promoting good stewardship of the land is an important part of combating climate change, and Dutchess County is proud to continue to lead New York State in this effort. The Partnership for Manageable Growth helps protect important agricultural and open space resources, providing a locally funded match for land preservation purchases up to 50% of the total project cost. There are a multitude of benefits to protecting farmland, including supporting the local economy as agriculture creates jobs and keeps money local as goods and services are purchased from other local businesses, fosters the farm-to-table movement as more people seek food options locally sourced, accentuates scenic view sheds. Additionally, there are long-range environmental benefits of farmland preservation, including wildlife habitat, clean air and water, flood control, and groundwater recharge. The 2017 report, Greener Fields, Combating Climate Change by Keeping Land and Farming in New York, published by the American Farmland Trust, noted, an acre of farmland in New York produces 66 times fewer greenhouse gases than an acre of developed land. Each of the projects was evaluated by the County Planning Board using objective criteria and all are located in agricultural priority areas, is delineated in the 2015 Dutchess County Agricultural and Farmland Protection Plan. The funded projects are as follows. Glenmore Farm, a livestock, dairy, and hay farm in the towns of Clinton and Pleasant Valley. Dutchess Views Farm, a thoroughbred horse breeding farm. 
in the town of Pine Plains, and Lopan Farms, a nursery stock farm in the town of Amenia. Since its inception in 1999, Dutchess County's Partnership for Manageable Growth Program has helped to protect over 4,000 acres of farmland and open space. Last week's announcement brings the total pending projects to eight, which will add an additional 1,400 acres, bringing the total preserved land to over 5,400 acres. And I'm Jem Fimble, Ag Navigator, and this has been the Farm and Ag Report for Hudson Valley Focus Live on WKIP. If you liked what you heard, please tune in 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday on 1450-1370 a.m. 98.5 FM WKIP.